take your copy of God's Word and locate the book of Hosea. It's going to take you a while to find it. So go ahead and look for Hosea. Good luck finding the book of Hosea. That's where we're going to be this morning in Hosea 1, 2 and verse 3. Well, I'm glad to be back home. I tell you, there's no other place I'd rather be than right here on any... Amen. Amen, amen. No other place I'd rather be on a Sunday than right here enjoying God's Word with you. Man, we're going to enjoy God's Word today in the book of Hosea. Some of the staff told me while I was gone that this road crew out here on Bank Street that's been working for the past six months every day, that the whole time I was gone, they were gone. (laughs) They worked right outside my office, and the whole time I was gone, they weren't there one single solitary day I I was gone. They were gone. And then I get back in the office, office on Monday trying to study Hosea. Hosea is not easy to study. And this is what I hear when I start studying. Y'all hear that? Really? Come on. The day I come back, you show up. And the beeping, I mean, that was only like 10, 15 seconds of beeping. Beep the whole time. That equipment used to only beep when it would back up. Now it beeps just all the time. Just beeping all the time. I I tell you, other than the beeps, I'm so glad to be back with my peeps at Red Bank Baptist Church. It's good to be back with you. It's good to be in the book of Hosea. It's good to be launching this new series entitled The Twelfth Man. Now, in the sport of football, at any given time, there are 11 men on, one, on offense, 11 on defense, or 11 on special teams on one side, 11 on the other, 22 men total. The 12th man, as it were, represents the crowd, the fan base, the, the, those that come to support their team, right? The 12th man. Now, the 12th man will never determine the outcome of a game. However, at times, they can cause problems for the opposing team during the game. And so the 12th man, you say, what does that have to do with the 12 minor prophets? Uh, Well, if you've ever been to a sporting event, maybe an IndyCar, NASCAR race, or a a golf tournament, or a tennis, hockey match, baseball, football, basketball game, whatever, you go to a competition, there are people that are gathered there to watch the crowd, right? You're not there to watch the crowd. You're there to watch the competition. But every now and then you'll notice, hey, that crowd's making a lot of noise. You know, hey, they're, wow, they're making a lot of noise from time to time. When it comes to your go-to books of the Bible, we just skip over the minor prophets, don't we? Those aren't the go-to. However, uh, we know they're there, and they make a lot of noise. In the New Testament, quite often you'll find these minor prophets quoted in the New Testament. So even when we're reading the New Testament, they're making some noise. Hey, I'm over here. So over the next 12 weeks, we're going to spend some time in the minor prophets. Now, I know if you're like me, I'd much rather go to a major league baseball game than a minor league baseball game, right? I mean, who wants to go see the Chattanooga Lookouts minor league play when you go see the Atlanta Braves major league team play? It's different, isn't it? So, these minor prophets, we're going to take some time and spend some time in the minor prophets. Before we dive into Hosea, there are some understandings, some parameters we need to know in general about these 12 prophets, okay? This will help us in our study. First of all, we need to know that these minor prophets were a part of what we would call Jesus' Bible. The Bible Jesus had, the scroll he had when he taught in the synagogue. 
or when he was on the road to Emmaus talking about all the scripture that referred to him from Moses through the prophets. That would have been these guys as well. We also need to know that these minor prophets are not minor because they're inferior or unimportant. They're minor because they're shorter. Okay, Jeremiah is not short. Uh, Isaiah is not short, right? Think about Isaiah, Jeremiah's a long Facebook post, and then think about these minor prophets as a tweet on Twitter. Okay, think about it like that. These are shorter. It doesn't mean they're inferior. certainly doesn't mean they're unimportant. It just means they're shorter. They're shorter books. Uh, in fact, in Jesus' scroll, they would have been the book of the twelve. One scroll, not twelve different ones. Also, we need to know that here's the good news for us. The 12 minor prophets were written to Israel at a time when Israel had turned her back on God, had sinned against God. So guess what? The minor prophets written two sinners, four sinners, (laughs) two broken people, four broken people. Anybody a sinner in here? Yeah, anybody broken? Well, good news. The 12 minor prophets are for us. I mean, this is good news. So we're going to have a great time walking through these prophets. We are going to do one message from each prophet each week. Uh, so the first thing I want you to do, let me see your rally towels. You got your rally towels? Can you rally them up? Don't hit your neighbor in the head. Or it might be fun to hit your neighbor in the head. Go ahead. Yes, rally them up. Yes. Rally towels, right? And, and, and look, look at the front of your rally towel. Y'all are having too much fun, aren't you? You'll see the 12th man, you see 12 minor prophets, 12 must weeks over the next 12 weeks, 12 major promises. What what we're going to attempt to do is look at each prophet and pull out of there a major promise God has made to his people. Okay, Today's promise is coming from Hosea. Now what I want you to do with these is bring them with you every Sunday, but also take them with you. When you go to the gym, take this with you. Put it on the elliptical. Use it to wipe your face off. Take it on the golf course. Use it to wipe your clubs off. Take this with you wherever you go. This is what we call a gospel conversation starter. Somebody's going to ask you, what is that? And you get to tell them, this is what it is. Won't you come join me and hear from God in the minor prophets? So put these to good use as you go about your day. Okay, here we go. Book of Hosea and a message entitled today, Relentless Love, we're going to focus on a major promise God has made to you and to me, to Israel, to Jew, and to Gentile. But first of all, we need to understand that Hosea is a pretty emotional book, okay? It's a picture of of a scandalous, reckless, relentless love. That's the picture we see here in Hosea. In fact, it doesn't take long to see that picture. Look at verse 2. In Hosea chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord spoke to Hosea. So, not only is God giving Hosea a message to preach to the people, He's also given Hosea a message to preach to Himself. Okay? He's given it through Hosea, sure. But He's also given it to Hosea for Hosea. Now, when I graduated seminary, I'm thankful that this was not my assignment. Look at Hosea's assignment. When you think you're having a bad day, just read Hosea. When you think your lot in life stinks, just read Hosea. Look at this. Go 
take to yourself a wife of whoredom, verse 2, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. How many times can we say whoredom this morning? So he went and took Gomer. Would you like to be named Gomer? How about that? Hosea is called by God to embody the message God has for his people. And when we were in Mississippi, uh, we, uh, one night Tanya wanted to order pizza for the girls to be delivered. And so she called, had pizza delivered. And I didn't want pizza. I've got an, I'm going to confess, I have an inappropriate relationship with chicken tortilla soup. And so I wanted some soup. But I was sabbatical. I didn't want to go pick it up because I'm on sabbatical, man. I'm sabbatical. I don't want to go pick that up. So uh, what I did was I found a, a food delivery service that will deliver food for restaurants that don't deliver food. You familiar with these? They have Uber Eats or DoorDash, and there's other ones. So I found one that would deliver soup from McAllister. I downloaded the app. I was very proud of myself because I'm digitally inept, so I was proud of myself. I got it loaded. I ordered the soup. It alerted me and said, Charles, your driver will be delivering your soup in 32 minutes. I said, well, that's great. This is easy. This is simple. I dominated that app. Man, I, and, I, and I was so proud of myself. I ordered about 10 minutes before Tanya ordered pizza, and I was going to have my soup before the pizza got there. I was just excited. I was feeling good about myself. Doorbell rings. Go to the doorbell. Get my soup. And I walk to the door. The pizza delivery guy is standing there with the pizza. So I take the pizza and I tell the girls, y'all don't wait on me. My soup will be here any minute. Y'all go ahead and eat. So they start eating pizza. They continue to eat pizza. They go back and get more pizza. They finish eating pizza. They clean up the kitchen. They turn off the lights and leave me sitting there in the dark. No soup for me. An hour into this thing my app alerts me again I ordered an hour ago it alerts me again and says Charles had vanished they don't know where Charles is Angela's your new driver and the soup will be there in 96 minutes an hour and 36 minutes after I've already waited an hour so about 30 minutes later the app alerts me again Angela's on her way to get the food I said well great that's good it'll be there in 22 minutes I said great 35 minutes later we're about 2 hours and 15 minutes deep into this thing I ordered at 4.43 it's now about 7 uh, 7.15, 7.20 something like that my phone rings it's Angela she's calling me to tell me her GPS went out and she has no way to get to me what, what did we do before GPS? do y'all remember maps? You remember a map? You remember MapQuest? You'd go print off maps off of MapQuest. Anybody remember doing that? And list all the directions for you. Well, she couldn't find me, so I said, she said, I got my whole family with me. I said, look, I'll just come meet you. So I go get in the car. I drive to where she is. And when I get there, her whole family, they're enjoying their dinner in the car. Oh, they're having a great time. She hands me a bag of soup. It smells like, it smells like a cigarette. Just, she hands it to me. I take it. I say thank you, and and she says, "Look, this is this is the first time this ever happened to me. I'm sorry." And I almost said, "Well, this is the first time and last time I'm ever going to use this service," but I didn't. I was thinking it, but I didn't say it. And then on the way back to the house, I got tickled, and all my hangriness, I got tickled, and and I, I figured out I drove a farther distance to meet Angela than it would have taken me to drive to the restaurant. 
And on the way back, I got tickled at myself, and I thought, you know what? I just delivered my food to myself. <laughs> like, I just used a food delivery service to deliver my food to myself. How does this happen? I know y'all think I make this stuff up. I'm not making it up. Hosea is called by God to deliver his message to himself, to embody it and to live it out. And so today, I tell you, the one thing that just jumps off the page is the relentless love of God. It's the takeaway that I take from Hosea, and it reads this way, God's love is never less than relentless. It's always more than relentless, always more than never-ending. But his love is never less than never-ending, relentless. And that's proof in Hosea 3.1. Look what it says in Hosea 3.1 again. The Lord said to Hosea, go again, love Gomer, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, God is not anti-cake, okay? I, got a, I saw a tweet on Twitter from Little Debbie Cakes. It says, if we get 220,000 followers, we'll give somebody free cakes for a whole year. So I like that, and I liked it on Twitter. God is not anti-cake. What he's anti are the Israelites indulging in the worship of Baal, which was part of that uh, consuming these cakes of raisins in an act of worship, turning their back on God. And the message of Hosea is simple. God's love is never less than relentless. And I want to show you four aspects of God's love. We're going to move through this pretty quickly. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and the first part of chapter 3. We're not going to look at every verse in chapter 2. We're not going to look at every verse in chapter 1. But we will move through chapter 1, get a few in chapter 2, and then finish up. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Here's the first aspect of God's love. God's love is scandalous. Now, God's love is not scandalous because God is scandalous. God is not scandalous in the way we might think of that. We are the ones who are scandalous, yet God chooses to love us anyway. Has that hit you yet? It's about to hit you pretty hard uh, from this book called Hosea. So what do we know about Hosea? Here's what we know. We don't know much about Hosea. That's what we know about Hosea. We do know the time period of the 12 minor prophets was from the 8th century B.C. to the 5th century B.C. In other words, it's at the latter part of the Old Testament period. This is post-King David, post-King Solomon, post-Elijah, post-Elisha. Okay, This is the time period of all 12 minor prophets. We know according to verse 1... That there are two kingdoms. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Bere, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of what? Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of what? Israel. Two kingdoms. Northern kingdom, Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah. Hosea is prophesying to the northern kingdom. Under the reign of Jeroboam, they experienced a prosperity explosion. Economically, financially, Israel had never been better since the golden years of King David. Jeroboam was expanding the borders. Israel was booming. But their hearts were far from God. They were on a moral decline into depravity and idolatry. 
like never before. Man, what a word for us today. Isn't that a word for America today? I mean, we are, we are prospering financially, economically, but man, as a nation, our hearts are far from God. As a church, we can apply this to the church. I mean, God's blessing us as a church. I mean, He's really blessing us. The question is, are our hearts near to Him or far from Him? As an individual, as a family, what about you? God's blessing you. Is your heart near to Him or far from Him? So Hosea is prophesying at a time when Israel's hearts are far from God. In fact, we learn in chapter 2 they had forgotten about God altogether. Not that they were far from Him, they forgot about Him. How can you forget about the one who led you out of Egypt? How can you forget about the one who poured His grace on you and led you out of the land of Egypt? Well, they had forgotten about God, and so often we do as well. This is the time frame of Hosea. What else do we know about Hosea? Here's what we know about Hosea. His family is a hot mess. You thought your family was a hot mess. You thought your family was dysfunctional. You hadn't seen anything yet. This family is off the rails. Let's take a look at his family. Hosea uh, chapter 1 verse 3. So he took Gomer and notice the Bible says she conceived and bore him a son. Now these Three names of Hosea and Gomer's children are strange names. I've seen some strange names. You've seen some strange baby names, right? I looked at a list the other day. There was a baby name on the strangest baby names. First five letters of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E. That was a baby's name. Another one on the list was America. M-E-R-I-C-A, America. Another one on the list was Pharaoh... Felony, amen. How would you like to have the name amen? Can you imagine being in a place where everybody's amening and your name's amen? Hashtag was another name on this list. Boy was another name. Girl was another name. Like boy, girl, that's names. Crazy strange names. You've seen strange names too. But there's no names stranger or worse than these three names in Hosea 1. Look at the first name. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. What's so strange about Jezreel? Well, you got to keep reading. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end. Somebody say end. Somebody say put an end. I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, what does that mean? That means judgment is coming. Every time the name Jezreel was spoken, hey, Jezreel, go clean your room. Saying, hey, judgment is coming. Go clean your room. Right? Every time his name is spoken, it's judgment has come. God's going to put an end to Israel because Israel's not learned her lesson. Jehu destroyed the pagan worship of Ahab and Jezebel in, in, the, in the valley of Jezreel, bloodshed everywhere, and Israel hadn't learned her lesson. She's still falling back to those dead, false pagan gods. And God says, I'm going to put an end to you. So name your child Jezreel. Judgment's coming. Think about that name, Jezreel. It would be like today in America if somebody named their child Gettysburg that represents the bloodshed and death in the Battle of Gettysburg. It would be something like that, Jezreel. But the names just get worse. Here we go. Look at verse 6. I mean, they just get worse. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. Wow. That's her name. Why? No Mercy. Here's why. 
For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Meaning Israel's going to be carried away into exile. The northern kingdom, 722 B.C. was carried away. Southern kingdom, 586 B.C. was carried away. They're going to be carried away. Uh, I will have no mercy, uh, no more mercy on the house of Israel for name this daughter no mercy. But look at verse 7. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or sword or war or horse or horseman. I'll save them by the Lord their God. In other words, you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 19. Hezekiah, king of Israel, or king of Judah, Assyria is invading. What does Hezekiah do? He prays to the Lord. He doesn't go round up the the troops and say, let's go to war. He falls on his face before a holy God, and he puts his trust in Yahweh. And Yahweh delivers them. God delivers them because they trust in him. That's the difference between Judah and Israel at this time. Judah's trusting in God. Israel's not. The only way you can be saved, dear friend, is to put your trust in the one whose name is above every name. To put your trust in Christ is the only way you can be saved. And if you put your trust in Christ, you will be saved. And if you do not put your trust in Christ, you will never be saved because you can't be saved apart from Christ. That's the message. No mercy because they're not trusting in the one who provides mercy. No mercy. And then it just gets worse. Look at verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy. Can you imagine trying to wean a child named no mercy? She conceived and bore a son. Verse 9. And the Lord said, call his name not my people. What? Can you imagine naming your child, give birth to a child, and, and, and you, you, dad, you're holding that child, and you say, okay, the name of this child is going to be not my child. How odd is that? How outrageous is that? Why, why are these outrageous names mentioned in Hosea 1? You know why? Because God is outraged at the sin of Israel. He's outraged. So he tells them to go name these outrageous names. Why? Because God is outraged at the sin of Israel. Why is he so outraged at their sin? Because they're not trusting in him. They're not trusting in him. One pastor said it this way. These three names undo what we cherish most about salvation. You know what we cherish most about salvation as believers? Number one, we have a new identity, don't we? We're new in Christ. Christ has bought us. He's made us new. We have a new identity. Secondly, we get all the mercies. They're new every day. And Lord knows I need mercies every day. Brad, I need them every day. Every day. Number three... Salvation, what we cherish about, we have security, eternal security. And and what happens here is God undoes all three of those, right? Because there's no security. Jezreel said judgment is coming. There's no eternal security. There's no mercy. There's no mercy. And there's no identity. You're not my people. So it undoes what we cherish most about salvation. And here's why God is so outraged. In Hosea 2.5, it says, For she, she said, this is Gomer, I'll go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. She, she thought she got that stuff from the pagan gods. And again, in Hosea 5, it says, When Israel saw his sickness and Judah his wound, they went to Assyria. So here's what's happening. 
When Israel's afraid and worried and stressed out, they don't turn to the Lord. They turn to Egypt. They go back to Assyria. They go to the pagan gods and pagan worship, not trusting in God. Here's how this applies to us today. If you're single and you ever want to get married, I would encourage you to wait on God. Waiting on God is never a waste of time. Not waiting on God is wasting your time. If a young couple says, we're going to go ahead and start living together, cohabitate together, here's what's happening. The the primary sin for people who are living together outside the bonds of marriage, the primary sin is not premarital sex. The primary sin is what you're saying to God, God, I don't trust you with my future. The primary sin, there's no trust in what God has for you. Think about it in this way. What do you do when you're worried, fearful, stressed out? What do you do when you get stressed? Do you turn to overeating, turn to food? Do you turn to prescription drugs? Do you turn to alcohol? Do you turn to shopping or something else? The primary sin is not the excess shopping. Well, it might be the excess shopping. No, that's not the primary sin. The primary sin is not excess shopping. It's not overeating, it's not uh, abusing some kind of substance like alcohol or or, or prescription drug. That is not the primary sin. The primary sin is you are looking for comfort in something other than the God of all comfort. That's the sin. You're not trusting in God. How about giving, tithing? If you give to the Lord, if you tithe to the Lord and to His work, and you give sacrificially, what you're saying to God is, God, I trust you to take care of me. If you do not give or tithe or give sacrificially to the Lord's work, what you're saying is you're saying, God, I don't trust you to take care of me. I'm going to take care of myself. That's the primary sin. And look, this outrages God when we don't trust in Him. When we don't rely on Him, we do not press into Him, when we do not find our comfort in Him, this outrages God. But you don't know what's even more outrageous than these names and even more outrageous than God's outrage is verse 10. Look at this, verse 10 in chapter 1. Man, this is, I'm telling you, this is a very uh, emotional book to go through. But look at verse 10. Here we go. It's a roller coaster, I'm telling you. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you're not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Hey, John speaks to that and says, those who believed in his name, those uh, God gave the right to become children of God. And this is who we are in Christ And so he says, yes, they'll be called children of the living God. And verse 11, and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. Listen, church, that's Messiah. That's Christ. And they shall be up, go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. That's the gospel right there. Hosea chapter 1, verse 11, uh, 10 and 11, that is the gospel. And here's what it's saying to us today. God loves to love you. His love is scandalous, not because he's scandalous, because you are. He loves to love you. God loves to love bad people. He loves to love bashful people, abused people. He loves to love abusive people. He loves to love broken, beaten down, bogged down, busted up people. God loves, he even loves to love Alabama people. 
God loves to love cowardly, crummy, dirty, filthy, grungy people. He loves to love icky, lousy, messy, nasty, shady, shoddy, sloppy, spotty, smelly, yucky people. God loves to love you. To God, the greatest creation in all the universe is you. He loves you. And it's a scandalous love. I know, it's crazy. It blows your mind. I get it. Number two, God's love is reckless. Man, it's such a reckless love. Now, in chapter 2, the first part of chapter 2, I only focus on a couple of verses here. Verse 2, verse 8, and verse 13. Verse 2 it says, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife. I am not her husband. God is pleading and saying, Hosea, go plead to Gomer to come back to you. He's, he's begging, he's pursuing uh, Gomer. God is pursuing Israel, wooing Israel back to himself. As Hosea is to woo and pursue Gomer back to himself. Verse 5, though, here's what Gomer does. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. But here's where this love is just totally reckless. Just reckless. Look at verse 8. Gosh, this will blow your mind right here. One has said that the love of God is so tangible in Hosea that you can touch it. I'm telling you, man. Look, look at this in verse 8. And she did not know. Now, the word know there is a very intimate word. Adam knew Eve, right? Joseph knew her not, talking about Mary, until the Christ child was born. Joseph knew her not. That's a very intimate word. It's a very emotional book. So she did not know. What did she not know? Well, Gomer did not know that it was Hosea. Israel did not know that it was God. Okay, the church, sometimes we don't know that it is Christ who gives us, look at this, the grain, the wine, the oil, the silver, the gold, etc. Here's, here's what's happening. Gomer, Hosea loved Gomer. He's pursuing Gomer. He, he takes Gomer to be his wife. He goes after her. He provides for her, starts a family with her. She don't want any part of it. She leaves him for another man, an abusive man, a man that abuses her. A man that eventually, when we get to chapter 3, is going to put her right back up on the sex slave auction block. Abusing her. And yet, Hosea goes after her, even still pleading with her. Begging her to come back. She won't have any part of it. I'm going after my lovers. Leaves him again and again and again and again. And ultimately, here's what Hosea does. And this is what... This is what the Lord does for you... And for me, look at verse 8. She did not know that it was I who gave her what all she needed. See, Gomer thought, if you go to verse 5, Gomer thought that it was this abusive man that was providing her all her substance, all that she needed. In reality, here's what Hosea does. Hosea goes to this abusive man that is abusing Gomer and he gives her money to provide for Gomer. When Gomer is far from Hosea. So even when we're far from God, every good gift comes from God. Let the, the love of the heart of Hosea just melt your heart and let you come back to God. He loves you. 
and he's reckless about it. Who, who, have you ever heard of anything like this before? And then look at verse 13. I mean, look at this. I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me. God says, Israel has just forgotten about me. So then you would think, if you've been forgotten about, if one has forgotten you, you would think that in verse 14, God would just crush him. Right? You would think when you get to chapter 2, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will crush her. I will destroy her. For she has forgotten about me. But look what God says. Man, this is a roller coaster, isn't it? Whew, this is heavy. Therefore, behold, I will woo her. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. And look at this word. Speak tenderly to her. Gentle and tender. Man. God's love is just reckless. J.I. Packard said it this way. By his own free voluntary choice, God will not know perfect and unmixed happiness again till he has brought every one of his children to heaven. Now, does God need us? No. (laughs) He does not need any of us. But he wants us. He wants us so much. He wants you and me so much. I think about it this way. I've talked to some parents who've adopted children before. And they've said it's not like we were unhappy before we adopted children. It's not like that at all. But once we adopted, we have bound our happiness to the happiness of that adopted child. I've heard those testimonies before from parents who adopt. This is what God has done. God was not unhappy before he made you and me. (laughs) He was not unhappy. But once he made us and once he gave Jesus to die for us, well, once he made us, he loved us. And and, and from that point forward, God has, has tied his ultimate happiness. He has bound it some way to us. I know that's mind boggling. That's Seems like God is weak. God is not weak. He chooses to do Voluntarily he does it. And all his sovereignty and the mystery of it all, it will blow your mind. But I pray more than blowing your mind, it will melt your heart. And you'll come back to God. For he loves you. And his love is just reckless. Look at number three. Man, this is good in, in, in chapter two, the end of chapter two. We're on the roller coaster again. Now we're going back up again. And here we see God's love is relentless. Uh, Look at at verse uh, uh, 15 in chapter 2. And there I will give her uh, her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. Now the valley of Accor, you can read about that in Joshua 7. That's the place where Achan sinned. Okay, and so God is saying, I can take the, the worst sin, the depths of your sin, I can transform that into a door of hope. Wow, what? Yes, I can make it like it was. Keep reading in verse 15. And there shall answer, uh, and she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. I, we can start over. We can go back to the days when you first came out of the land of Egypt. When I first delivered you, we can go back to those days. I can restore those days. Verse 16. And you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. My Baal means a harsh master. God says, I am not your harsh master. I am your husband. I am tenderly wooing you and pursuing you. I'm not whipping you into shape. Now, yes, I will discipline you as my children, but I'm not punishing you. I'm wooing and pursuing you, and you will call me my husband. And watch this, church, verse 17. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I'll make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven. Listen to this. And the creeping things of the ground. Doesn't that sound like the Garden of Eden? 
Guess what? God's going to restore all of that. I say, I can take you back to the time when Adam and Eve walked with me in the cool of the day before sin. Yes. Yes. His love is relentless. And then he says this in verse 19, or verse 18. I'll abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land. I'll make you lie down in safety. There's security. Our identity. Mercy is all being restored. Look, it says, I'll betroth you forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you. I love that word betroth. Man, what a word. God is going to woo us and pursue us. And, and look at this, end of verse 20. And you shall know the Lord. <laughs> you shall go from not knowing me to knowing me. And then this last part will just absolutely flat out preach itself. Look at verse 23. And I will have mercy on no mercy. Does anything else need to be said? I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Hey, this love is relentless. Here's the problem. We chase after sin. And sin never satisfies us. And we continue to chase after sin. And it doesn't satisfy us. Have you noticed that trend? You go after another sin, and that sin doesn't satisfy. Then you amp that sin up, and that sin doesn't satisfy. So you amp up another sin, that doesn't satisfy. But God always satisfies. Always. He, there's never a time when He will not satisfy your heart as He loves you. Think about it this way. The sun shines. The nature of the sun, S-U-N, is to shine, isn't it? Now, you can put on sunscreen, right? And you can try to get away from the sun. You put on sunshades. You can come in this room right now, but just because we're in this room right now, that in no way stops the sun from shining, does it? The sun's shining. It's going to shine. You can try to get out from under the shining of the sun in different ways. You can reject that. You can try to move yourself, remove you from it, but it will never stop shining in the same way God loves you. You can reject His love. You can disbelieve that He loves you, but that will never stop the fact that He loves you. He loves you. Number four, last one, uh, last piece here. God's love is shown in His goodness, and I'll be quick here. God's love is shown in His goodness, demonstrated in His goodness. This is so good in chapter 3. Look at this. And the Lord said to me, go again. So Gomer has gone off again. Hosea, go get her again. And again and again, go get her. So he goes after her. Love a woman who's loved by another and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Verse 2. Here's a very graphic picture of the gospel in verse 2. Hosea goes to the auction block, the sex slave market, where slaves are sold for 30 shekels. Notice what the Bible says. He buys her back for how much? So I bought her for 15 shekels. What does that tell us? A couple of things. Number one, Gomer is devalued. She's devalued. The abuse has devalued her. Second thing it tells us is Hosea spent all he had. He unloaded the bank account, emptied the retirement account. He's even having to give some barley at the end of verse 2 because 15 shekels wasn't quite enough. He gave all he had to redeem her, to buy her back. Christ has done that for you and for me. He paid it all on the cross. The cat, the, 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 the nine cattails dripping the flesh from his body. 
the nails in his hands and feet, the blood-soaked cross, the crown of thorns on his head. He paid it all. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, I'm too dirty. I'm too filthy. You don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you have done. I don't know the depths of your depravity. I don't know the sin you keep going back to. I don't know that. But this I do know. I don't know what you have done, but I do know what Christ has done. And the Bible says he has finished it. It is done. It is accomplished. He's paid the penalty of all your sin and wiped it clean. Forgiveness is available. All you have to do is trust in him. Jesus had his own gomer in John chapter 8 verse 11. You can read about that. This woman caught in adultery was about to be stoned and Jesus said those without sin cast the first stone. They drop their stones. They walk away. And Jesus looks to the woman and he asks the woman, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, there's none, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus did not say, go and sin no more, forsake your sin, then neither will I condemn you. He didn't say, okay, go get yourself cleaned up, then I'll accept you. That's not the gospel. That's the law. That's what the law says. And some of you are living under the law. And you think you have to clean yourself up. To be accepted by God. That's not what the gospel says. Sure, the law says you have to forsake your sin before you can be forgiven of your sin. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The gospel says you're already forgiven of your sin in Christ, therefore forsake your sin. Forgiven sin should always lead to sin forsaken. You are already accepted in Christ. You're already forgiven in Christ, so go and sin no more. You don't have to clean anything up. You just need to trust in Christ. So quit trying to clean everything up and just surrender and come to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust only in you. The truth is we are all gomers, all of us. Who are we in this text? We're gomer. Without Christ, we're gomer. When we have Christ, even then, we act like gomers and we go away and go away and go. And here's what God does. God says, hey, when you fall back into that sin, when you walk away from him, God looks at God the Son. Jesus says, go again. Go get him again. Go again. Leave the 99 and go after the one. Do it again. Do it again. Go again and again and again. Go get them and do it again and do it again. So maybe you are a gomer that that has not put your faith in Christ. And today the gospel is clear. It's never been clearer for you. You've never understood it better. Your heart is warm. Hosea, through the Holy Spirit, uh, God has warmed your heart. 
You say, what do I need to do? Hey, our pastor is going to be down front. You need to come. We want to talk to you. All we want to do is talk to you. We want to show you in the scripture how you can become a child of God. We want to do that for you today. But you're going to have to come and, and, and talk to us. And we want to do that. So please, as we stand in a moment, have our invitation. Would you come and say, yes, I need to put my faith in Christ. Or I've done that, but I've not followed through with baptism. Or I've done that, but I haven't joined the church. Or whatever God has warmed your heart to do today, it's time for you to respond. And here's a word to everybody who has trusted Christ and are following him. Listen very carefully to this. Not only are we gomers, but in Christ we can be Hosea's to the gomers in our life. So who is it that you need to go to again? Parents, that wayward child, go again. Husband who feels like you're neglected, go again. Wife, who feels like you're being taken for granted, go again. Friend who's been forsaken, go again. Go again, go again, go again. This is the gospel. The gospel says, go again. Father, in the name of Christ, we're so grateful.